Welcome to American Indian Living, a program developed by the Native Education and Health Initiative to improve and enhance the health of people throughout the Native communities. American Indian Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he's ready today to help you learn more about your health. Here's Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we're hosting another in a series of shows from the venue of Houston, Texas. It's the ASI International Meetings. It's August of 2017 when we're recording this programming. And again, I've got an amazing person sitting across from me. This time it's Mendy Corwin. Mendy, it's great to have you with us. Thank you, Dr. DeRose. It's wonderful to be here. Mendy, you are working with a group that is called Impact Hope. Yes. Now... We're doing a show, and just to bring our listeners up to speed, because they're not looking at my cue sheet, this show is called Remembering the Forgotten. Remembering the Forgotten. And you're working totally different continent here than than North America. What is Impact Hope doing? Impact Hope is looking to work in Rwanda with the Congolese refugees in refugee camps in Rwanda. Okay, so you have refugees from the country of the Congo who are in Rwanda. Yes. And they've been there just for a few months or weeks or what is it? 23 years. 23 years. Ever since the Rwandan genocide in 1994. Wow, so there's this terrible genocide in Rwanda. How did that impact the Congo? Well, there were those who had committed genocide that fled the country of Rwanda, into the Congo, and then continued to commit genocide in the Congo. Wow. Those groups of people fled back into Rwanda. So they're not native Rwandans. They're Congolese. Is that the right term? Yes. And they move into the neighboring country, but they're living in these camps. Yes. And when we speak about a camp, I mean, what kind of numbers are we talking When you add up all of the camps, I believe it is around 80,000 people that are still living in those camps. For 23 years? Well, they continue to have families. Wow. So paint us a picture. You've been there to the camps? Yes. So what is is life like there? After 23 years, now they've got running water and homes and things? No, they have homes. They're built out of sun bricks which are made from straw and mud. Hmm. They have water wells, water to draw from, but no no running water Okay. individually. So they're carrying water to their small abode in those yellow jerry cans that you've seen hmm. before, and they do not have electricity. So I have people listening to the show today. Yes. And... They're saying, you know, this is not that much different where I live. I mean, there are people here in Mm -hmm. North America that are forgotten as well that may not have running water, that may be getting their water from Mm -hmm. a cistern or um, some other communal location. There are others who are listening who are, you know, living a very affluent life. We have people Mm -hmm. across that whole spectrum. Some are Native Americans. Others are people of many other races. So as you're telling us about Rwanda and the Congo, Mm -hmm. we're also saying, 
you know, these things happen in our backyard too. Yes. So there in Africa, there in Rwanda, somehow you and others learned about this situation and it wasn't just a news story that you heard and said, oh, too bad for those people. You did something more with it. Tell us about that. Hans and Mindy Tigerson became aware uh, over two years ago now of this crisis, a humanitarian crisis, really. Hmm. And they wanted to focus their attention on education. So they learned a lot about the camps, actually, but they learned that the education system in the camps only goes to the ninth grade. Hmm. And without more than a ninth grade education, they really cannot compete in the job market in Rwanda. They cannot go back to the Congo. They're not held captive in the camp. It's just that unless they can support themselves, they can't leave. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So basically, there's the freedom. If they they were able to leave and get a job or do something, they wouldn't have to be in that camp. But there's no opportunity for advancement. Until then, they receive about 23 cents a day, which doesn't buy more than a meal a day per person. And that's through some type of humanitarian assistance? Yes. Wow. So 23 years. This is the only home that many or all of the children have known, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. And now you folks are trying to make a difference as far as the... uh, area of education. Yes. So specifically, what are you doing to make a difference? Specifically, we are asking for donations for students to go to a boarding school. Okay. So, and this is important because of the issues of transportation and food and electricity. Mm-hmm. We want to give the young people an opportunity to go beyond the ninth grade. And to have an environment in which they can actually succeed at their studies. So for $600 a year, because we're working with some boarding schools in the country of Rwanda, Mm -hmm. we're able to send a student to school for a whole year. That pays for food, a mattress, tuition, books, everything. So really, $600 a year is all their expenses? Yes. Everything. Everything. Wow. And we partner with a charitable organization in Rwanda that helps facilitate getting the students to and from the schools and helps in the selection process as well because those young people are required to pass the ninth grade national test Mm -hmm. so that they may move on to the 10th grade. Wow. So you guys are... uh, trying to make a difference. It's been two years, you said, since you started this, and you probably haven't been able to help all that many in that short a time. Is that right? (laughs) Big dreams can start small. Uh And the first year we had 235 students that we were able to pull out of various camps Mm -hmm. and distribute appropriately to uh, some various boarding schools Mm -hmm. around the country. And this year, we are up to 410. Wow. Yes. That's impressive for a, a new organization <laughs> at a $600 price tag per student. Yes. So I'm trying to do the math real quick. I don't want to get myself into too much trouble, but 400 times 600, that sounds like a, a sizable chunk of change. Yes. And you know, 
we have become aware too that through the national statistics in Rwanda that the amount of people in the camps that are between the ages of 16 and 22 are 10,000. 10,000? 10,000. So you've raised somewhere around a quarter of a million dollars. You've put that right into sending students into boarding schools. You've impacted six or 700 at this point, yes. but there is still 9,000 some left, right? Yes. And you want to see them all get that kind of opportunity. I would love to see them all get that opportunity. I would love to see all who are eligible mm-hmm. to get that opportunity. And even those who are not immediately eligible can study to pass those exams mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to become eligible. So, yes, I would like to see every single one. Now, you know, one of the questions is, as we were talking, we're here at this ASI event, and we're doing a program, American Indian Living, and a lot of times... We hear about amazing things happening all around the world. I mean, wh- one response sometimes that people will say is, well, why help people in Africa when there's people in Indian country or other needy people right here in the United States? But one of the things that, that I find so encouraging, Mendy, is that our compassion shouldn't really have limits, should it? I agree. Yes. And when we sometimes are moved by a need far away... Sometimes it causes us and others to recognize those needs that are even closer to home. Yes. So I'm inspired by what you're doing. And I think our listeners, many of them are inspired. And I'm thinking even of people in difficult circumstances, First Nation peoples, maybe they're in a difficult situation right now. Some of them, I've been in their homes. They're, they're affluent. They're doing well. Uh, they're, they're thriving. Uh, that's happening in Indian country. But there's other people that are that are really struggling. And as they're listening to this story, one application I see is there's needs all around us. Some of those needs are far away. Some are close at hand. Let's talk about what people are doing to rise to the occasion, because this isn't all your personal funds, right? That's correct. So... How are people becoming aware of what you're doing? And if someone's listening to this show and they say, well, we want to make a difference, what do they do? They can contact impact-hope.org on the Internet, and you can make a donation right on that website. Now, this is simple. So the name of your organization is Impact Hope. Impact Hope. The website is impact-hope.org. Dot org, or they can contact Mindy Tigerson of Impact Hope at area code 503-673-3905. Okay, so you're Mindy. Yes. M-E-N-D-Y. I am. And you work with Mindy. I do. M-I-N-D-Y. <laughs> and you've just given us her number. Yes. And give us that one more time. 503 673 3905. Okay, so if you didn't catch that, uh, area code is 503, number 673-3905. That's Mindy's number. And the website impact dash, or if you prefer to call it a hyphen, that'll work too, impact-hope.org. Yes. So 
opportunities to get students into a situation where they can not only get an education, but have the food, the electricity, the computer access that they can do to, to thrive in a secondary school setting. What about any other options right there in the camps? Is that, have you looked at that and have you just said, you know, ninth grade is about the best we can pull off? Or are there ideas that maybe you could deliver more education right in the camps? We would not be able to. That was visited early on. Uh -huh. And the UNHCR is the organization that provides education. Uh -huh. And there is no plan to provide education over that. Okay. And I, I think what the Tigersons did and all who are involved is instead of getting bogged down with one thing that they can't change, concentrate on what you can change mm. and what you can contribute to. Th this to me is, is a great message, Mindy, because when you're listening today as a listener, you're listening to my dialogue with, with Mindy Corwin and whether you're moved by the needs in the uh, refugee camps of Rwanda or whether you're moved by needs right next door, maybe it's a Native American community, maybe it's an African American or a Caucasian, a downtrodden community of underserved people that are of maybe longer-term roots in America. You're in an area where there are people that are impoverished, that don't have a lot of educational opportunities. You're telling us... There's people of need all around. There are forgotten people. Yes. And look for a way to make a difference. Absolutely. I would say whatever God puts on your heart, pay attention to that. There's something there. That's a powerful message. Mandy, we uh, don't have much time in this segment, and I know you're also running a, a booth here in the exhibit yes. hall. If you had to leave our listeners with one message, maybe a message of how this has impacted you, what would you say? The way it has impacted me is to encourage me that there are things we can do, even when they're small things. If it was just one student, you think that one student is not the only one impacted. That's right. They impact their entire community, their families. Younger people are encouraged seeing them succeed. Mm -hmm. They have hope for their future. Tremendous. Mandy, thanks for sharing your vision. Mandy Corn with Impact Hope. That's impact-hope.org. We've got more coming up on today's edition of American Indian Living. More great guests. Don't go away. A lot more to come. Things that will change your life and the lives of those around you. I'm Dr. DeRose. We'll be right back. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. This is Betty White. I know you don't need one more thing to worry about, but listen. High blood pressure can cause kidney damage, blindness, heart attack, stroke. And you can have high blood pressure even if you feel all right. One in seven adults has it, but it's easy to get your blood pressure checked, and you can treat it if it is too high. So don't worry about it. Don't ignore it. Just see your doctor and check it out. For your free booklet, visit the Will Rogers Institute at wrinstitute.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter. Emergency medical unit received. 
respond to 102 Maple Avenue, possible stroke victim. When stroke occurs, you have 60 minutes to win or lose the race of your life. There are new treatments, but you must get to a hospital fast. If you suddenly feel weakness on one side, have trouble speaking, walking, or seeing, it could be a stroke. Call 911. Get to a hospital. Because how you spend the next 60 minutes could determine how you spend the rest of your life. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders in Stroke. If you receive disability benefits, keeping Social Security informed is key. Keeping us informed minimizes the chance that we learn about something later that could negatively affect your benefits. That's the surprise no one wants because it creates overpayments that you must repay, disrupts payments, and can even jeopardize your entitlement to Social Security benefits. Learn more about reporting responsibilities for people working and receiving disability or SSI benefits by reading our online publications, Working While Disabled, How We Can Help, and How Work Affects Your Benefits at www.socialsecurity.gov pubs. Some changes can be reported online at www.socialsecurity.gov. You can also notify us at 1-800-772-1213 or contact your local Social Security office. Our goal at Social Security is to pay you the right amount on time every month. With your cooperation to keep us informed of changes, the likelihood of any unpleasant surprises that could derail your benefits will be greatly minimized. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to our second segment in today's edition of American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're in the convention center in Houston, Texas. We're talking with people who are making a difference throughout Indian country, and we're waving to folks. Wish you could see all these smiling faces here in the exhibit hall. But right across from me, another smiling face, and bringing this story of forgotten ones really closer to home. It's Deb Claymore. Deb is the Native Ministries Director for the Dakota Conference. Tell us a little bit about what all that involves. Okay, um, I've been there probably about 15 years, and basically as the director or coordinator of Native Ministries for Dakota Conference is that um, I'm, I'm attempting to give some direction and providing assistance to, to our churches in Dakota Conference um, on how to do outreach, and also doing some planning with with our conference leaders on steps to be taken to um, reach more of our Native people. So you're a Seventh-day Adventist, yes. and this position of Native Ministries Coordinator is under the umbrella of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, correct? Correct. And you've been my guest before. I know my listeners have enjoyed your own story of uh, coming out of... Uh, a lot of challenging circumstances, and how you've been making such a difference in Indian country over the years, bringing education to what some people might say are often people that have been forgotten. Correct. So tell us, for those who haven't heard your story before, just in a nutshell, a little bit about your background, Deb. Um, well, going, going way back, I'm former alcoholic and drug addict. Um, I, I went to treatment, and I've been clean and sober about 30 years. Tremendous, tremendous. And because of that, 
I've, I've been able to work in the field of, of addictions and, um, as you said, putting on workshops and trainings and that type of thing. Um, also, I helped form a native treatment center that mm. we had in the Black Hills, and it was called Sacred Hills Treatment Center. And we got a government grant to do that, and we were pretty successful in the outcomes. Wow. Now, your roots, are, are they right in the Dakotas? Yeah, I'm, I'm Lakota, and I'm from the Shine River Lakota Sioux Reservation, mm-hmm. which is in the middle of the state of South Dakota. So you're back in your home country. I know for many years, didn't, weren't you in Colorado, or is, am I, why do I have that connection? Um, I'm still living in Colorado. Oh, okay. However, I'm back in the Dakotas quite often. Okay. Well, we're, I'm thankful for what you're doing. We started the show with talking about people who have been forgotten in Africa and the plight that has moved the hearts of people here in America. And the point is we've got people right in our own backyard who have often been forgotten and people in Indian country who even other people, uh, other tribal members sometimes are unaware of what their brothers and sisters of other tribal backgrounds are really dealing with. Have you found that over the years? Um, yes, I have. There, there are a lot of similarities as far as health issues go. I mean, our addiction among maybe across the, across the nations are very, very, very high. And, and then, you know, of course, diabetes and heart disease, that type of thing, um, due to inactivity and eating, healthy eating. Mm-hmm. Um, the health is just a big issue, and it's, it's across the board. So, Deb, a lot of your work has focused on education. I know you've got some exciting things that you're involved with right now. Tell our listeners a little bit about what you and others are doing to make a difference. One thing that we just did is that we held our American Indian family camp up in the Black Hills, and this is our native camp meeting that we hold every year. And this is our 13th year that we had it. Mm -hmm. And it is in the Black Hills, and our people consider the Black Hills as being sacred. It would be like a church. Mm -hmm. Um, There are are a lot of things that happen there that Native people go up and to, to do things there. So it's pretty fitting to have our camp meeting there. Uh, we've done, the last two years, what we've done, instead of having a guest speaker for the whole weekend, bring guest speaker in, volunteers and myself, we've, we've developed some studies, um, Bible studies basically, and we take turns then going through chapters with the meetings. And we have our participants sit in a circle, and as a facilitator, we sit in the circle as well, um, circle being very significant to Native people. Mm-hmm. And the discussions that go on, I mean, we can, we can set the theme for what that lesson is about, and people just comment uh, personal stories from their lives and uh, it's it's been really exciting doing these, and I think we're just going to continue on instead of 
having somebody come in and just speak to us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, for some people outside of Indian country, they may have heard the term talking circles. Is this what we're talking about, or is that something different? Um, it's kind of like that. Um, I, I'm trying to think. Usually, what talking circles have is like they'll have they'll have like something significant to their tribe or to native people. They they hold it, and then when somebody wants to talk, then they give that item to that person mm -hmm. and talk. Um, I guess, I guess it's kind of like that, except we don't have the significant item. Okay, okay. So you're in a beautiful location, a location that's sacred to, to First Nation peoples there in the Black Hills. You have this event. And I guess one of the questions always is, you know, it's, it's wonderful to do things. It's wonderful to affirm one another, to encourage one another. But a lot of people say, well, what kind of tangible things happen? Um, and specifically... If someone's listening right now, they may have never heard of such a thing. Is this open to everyone? Can any Native person come or a person who's not Native? Could they come to this American Indian family camp? Absolutely. Everybody I see wherever I go, Native and non-Native, I invite them to the camp. Okay. Um, we always hold it the third weekend of July. And our flyer says open to everybody, mm -hmm. You know, even though it says American Indian, because... Um, everybody has stories, and everybody has um, something to give to other people in terms of what we call fellowship or mm -hmm, just mm -hmm. talking. It's you know, it's just it's just a really I I really enjoy having it just because of the different types of people who come. So it is open to everybody. So the impact, someone's saying, well, okay, this is open to me. How does it impact people? Why would I want to show up at a Native camp meeting? If you're looking for, for, looking for spirituality and believe that this might help you being a Christian, of course, we focus on Christ. If that's something that you would like to learn more about, then you can come and learn from others just the spiritual atmosphere itself it's brings about a peace to people one thing i wanted to say that happened this this year it was saturday afternoon we were waiting for the the meeting to begin and there was there's probably about five or six of us standing outside the lodge there and i looked up and there were three eagles that were circling really up above and to Native people, I'm very significant. Mm -hmm. And so I pointed them out, and people who are with me, it's always, oh, look, there's eagles, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. And I, I said, that means God's here. That means Christ is here with us. Oh, really? And I said, yeah, it's in the Bible. You know, mm. eagles are in the Bible. And I'm thinking particularly of that verse that talks about on, will carry you on eagles' wings. Mm. And um, and give your young people strength and courage, and that that is part of what the eagle with native culture means is to have strength and courage. That's tremendous. So it's encouraging when you see things happening that seem to affirm the commitment that you've made. It seems like the Creator is is blessing what you're doing. Deb, if someone wants to get a hold of you, 
maybe they're interested in learning more about the uh, American Indian Family Camp. How do they go about doing that? Um, they can contact me um, by phone or by email. Mm-hmm. Um, my email address is D Claymore. That's D E E or the letter D. Letter D. Uh huh. And Claymore C L A Y M O R E at Comcast.net. Okay, so I've got D as in Deb Claymore at Comcast.net. Correct. And you said there's a phone number as well? Yeah, 970-214-9666. Give us that number, please, one more time. 970-214-9666. Deb, our time has slipped away for this segment. I want to thank you for what you're doing in Indian Country, and thank you for dropping by the booth. Absolutely. Thank you. We're going to be back with more on today's edition of American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Don't go away. We've got a lot more to come. American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. So, you want to be a hero. Here are some ways to get the job. Hunt down that killer shark. Or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke. Sudden weakness on one side or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. Can you guess what's going on here? It's kids getting fit. Studies show that children and teens who get at least 60 minutes of physical activity a day reduce the risk of obesity, heart disease, anxiety, and increase their overall mood. So whether it's around your neighborhood or at school, just get out and play. For your free booklet, visit WRInstitute.org or call toll-free 877-957-7575 and find us on Facebook and Twitter. The Will Rogers Institute since 1936. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We're retired, and this is how we live United. We decided to volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. United Way is how we contribute. Because we know our time and money are going to the right places. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic. We don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Diabetes affects more than 29 million Americans. If left untreated, diabetes can lead to serious health problems such as heart disease, stroke, blindness, and kidney disease. Your family's health history can be an important factor in determining your risk of developing diabetes. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you and your family. Do all you can to prevent or delay the onset of type 2 diabetes. Visit yourdiabetesinfo.org to learn more. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. 
Welcome to our second half of today's edition of American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. I'm speaking now with someone else who is committed to remembering the forgotten. We've looked at people who were forgotten in Africa, then people forgotten in our own backyard in Indian country, and now we're talking about people who have been forgotten in another portion of the world. It's really an amazing venue here at ASI with people working in all these different areas. I've got Dennis Perry sitting across from me. He's the president of Operation Food for Life. Dennis, it's great to have you with us. Thank you, Dave. Good to be here. Now, Dennis, your accent does not sound like it's from anywhere on uh, the North American continent. Is that true? That's true. Where are you from? From Australia. From Australia. And where are you focusing Operation Food for Life? Uh, In the uh, poorest country of the South Pacific, neighboring country to Australia, Papua New Guinea. So Papua New Guinea, if someone says, I've heard of that, but have no idea where it is. Can you paint a picture in our minds? Sure. If you've got consider a map of uh, Australia, right up the top of Australia, there's a little country about 45 minutes by plane, and that's Papua New Guinea, right up the top of Australia. Okay, so what's going on there? You said it's the poorest country in that part of the world. Only a, only a population of 7 million people, mm-hmm. but a larger population that are unemployed. Wow. Uh, they're, they're, they're desperate. We've got... Uh, we're reaching out to the poor and the forgotten people here who've got no income. There's no social welfare going to these people. And the, and the situation is so dire in terms of poverty, we find that even families in remote areas are selling their children to buy food. They're selling their children to buy food. Yeah, and those children will be at risk. They'll be put out in the streets for prostitution and other. Wow. And uh, that's really, really bad news. Uh, we're talking about the poor people, the forgotten people. Uh-huh. Arguably, Papua New Guinea is one of those major countries that have got poor and forgotten people, and that's where we minister to those that don't show up on anybody else's radar for, for all sorts of reasons. You know, this show is amazing to me for so many reasons. Uh, we started talking on this show about how sometimes we speak about the needs of people in other countries. Some say, well, there's people right here in our own country, and we, we acknowledge that on this show. There are, there are many people in Indian country and other segments of the U.S. population and North American population that are in serious situations. Mm-hmm. But now we come to some place like Papua New Guinea, and we're talking about people. I mean, I haven't heard of stories of people in the United States or in Indian country or anywhere in North America where they're actually so dire situated that they're actually selling their children. David, I've been working in this country for over 20 years as a volunteer for Operation Food for Life. Um, I've never seen such a dire situation as it is today. Wow. And I must say, uh, with the Almino effect that's taken place in the world in the last few years, that's had a devastating effect in that country. Uh, that the poor are depending on crops, mm-hmm. and if those crops don't grow, they've got no income. Wow. So, so the weather patterns have actually caused lack of rain there? That's correct. Wow, and, and the crops are just failing. That's correct. Uh, and it's so bad up there that, that people are forced to live on a garbage dump. Wow. Now, for when I started ministering up there it, you know, on, on people, now we're talking about when I st- first started over 15 years ago working on garbage dump, 3,000 families. 3,000 families living on a garbage dump. On top. Four oil drums with a piece of cardboard on the top. Can it get any worse than that? Competing with pigs and dogs for any leftovers dumped on the dump. Nobody else was going to these people. Marginalised, stigmatised. They don't appear on anybody's radar. This is what we do. Go in and feed them. 
give them dignity, give them hope, give them clothes, take medical help in there. These people are, are for all sorts of purposes, will die physically and, and spiritually mm. unless we reach them. They've got no dignity, no hope. And that's what we specialise in reaching those people to give them that dignity, to give them hope. Nobody deserves to live like that and nobody deserves to die like that. Wow, wow. Operation Food for Life, you said it started 15 years ago? Over 20 years ago when I was working in that area uh, of the South Pacific, I was confronted by poverty for the first time and uh, God called me to go out of my car and go onto a rubbish dump and start feeding these people. Mm. And from those humble beginnings, we've now fed over a million people in Papua New Guinea and elsewhere. Mm. I never imagined when I stepped on a rubbish tip, David, the day we build schools now for poor children. Wow. They cannot afford to go to school because they're so poor. Uh -huh. We provide free education, David, for those. We've just built a sanctuary for kids who've lost their parents through AIDS and abuse. Mm. We've got 40 kids there that would be on the streets today had it not been for there. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about the forgotten people. We're the only organisation that are permitted to go into the biggest hospital in the country and feed and those stigmatised, forgotten by society and their families dying of AIDS. Mm. Can it get any worse than this? Mm. But this is what we are calling is the forgotten people of Papua New Guinea. So folks are listening to this story, and uh, even though it's half a world away, you're inspiring people here in Houston, Texas. You're at this convention. There's a lot of people who are seeking to make a difference in different ways. What kind of response have you been getting as you share this story with people? Are, are they surprised? Does it come as a shock to them? Or are there other responses that you hear? People are shocked that a country so close to Australia has a catastrophe of this nature. Mm -hmm. We tend to hear about people in need in India, Bangladesh, Africa. Mm -hmm. but, the, but there's nothing in the press, no television coverage of what's happening to our closest neighbour. They, they are shocked. You know, another thing, Dennis, as we're talking about this topic, there are so many needs in so many places. Just on this program alone, talking about the needs of refugees in Rwanda, talking about some of the challenges in Indian country with uh, drug and alcohol and, and uh, disconnectedness, talking now about Papua New Guinea, People are listening to this show. It's so easy to be overwhelmed by all the needs of the whole world. How does someone know what to prioritize? You're sharing a story about your group making a difference. Uh, what kind of message do you give to people when there are so many needs? You cannot change the world, hmm. but you can mean the world to just the one person. Mm -hmm. You don't have to cross the sea to see the cross. Hmm. You, you can be... Your neighbour could be somebody who is physically and emotionally in need and you may never know about it. Whoa. Whoa. Now, um, Mother Teresa said, if you can't feed a 1,000 people, feed 10. Uh. If you can't feed 10 people, feed the person next to you. Uh -huh. So she, oh, she knew that you don't have to go too far to see a person in need. And all it takes is for you to take that first step. This is so profound because it, it, it brings this back full circle. We're not just talking about challenges in Papua New Guinea. As we listen to these stories, 
whether it's someone making a difference in Indian country, whether it's someone making a difference in Africa, whether it's someone making a difference in New Guinea, we're saying basically there are needs all around us. All of these stories sensitize us to open our eyes. If we think we're in difficult situations, there's likely someone close by me who's worse off, right? Absolutely. And if you know who that person is, could I suggest to you that God is drawing that attention to you, Hmm. knowing that you're in a position to help them in some way? Wow. Hearing the stories of Papua New Guinea, people are saying, some no doubt listening, that they want to help you. Because I'm, I'm assuming that you're an organization that relies on a significant amount of donor support. Is that right? That's correct. So how does that happen? Uh, in America, uh, we are a supportive ministry of Child Impact International. Child Impact International. It used to be known as Asian Aid USA. Oh, okay. I've heard of that. Yeah, it's been in the United States for many, many years. Uh-huh. And they can uh, go on website and they will find Operation Food for Life in their supporting ministries. Or make contact with them and they'll be, and let them know that you'd like to help Operation Food for Life and they'll be happy to supply a tax-deductible receipt for your generosity. Child Impact International. So you've got some materials here that you brought to the booth, and I wish this was a, a televised program because you've got a beautiful book here. And is that a book that's, oh my, this is detailing some of your this, work. This huh? is, uh, David, what, uh, what the listeners are to, listening to here is you're actually seeing us on the rubbish dump. Wow. You can see these people looking for food. That, that's their local supermarket. And here we are on the rubbish dump taking them food, food parcels, uh, part of what we do here. And, and as you can see, these people are living under garbage dumps with a piece of cardboard uh-huh. on the top. And there, a picture of me ministering to those needs. Wow, wow. Can it get any worse than this? It looks pretty bad. And that smoke is coming up 24 hours a day. These people will not live over 40 years' age. And that smoke that's coming up, is that methane gas? It is. Okay, it's being put off by the garbage. Yeah, it's got all diseases. It's got rabies. It's got hepatitis A, hepatitis B. All the diseases come from it. Uh I've contracted TB as a result of ministering to these people. But I will continue to minister to those people with every energy I've got, with every time I've got. Now I'm taking you, David, into the hospital where these people are dying of AIDS. Here we are praying with with one of our Mm. brothers and sisters, giving them hope and dignity. To them, we are Jesus to them. They've never heard of him. So we just come in and as as we're called to do as Christians is express the love of Jesus Christ to these unfortunate people. We make friends with strangers. Those friends become part of the Operation Food for Life family, and then we graduate them to the family of God. Hmm. This is a, it's an amazing work. And uh, for those of you who've been listening from the beginning of the hour, we're talking about some really dramatic needs throughout the world. And we're basically saying the message is you and I can make a difference. It starts right in our own backyard, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, Dennis, uh, this segment is rapidly coming to a close. And not only are we hearing of needs, we're also bombarded by images. When we watch the news, when we look at uh, secular magazines, there are a lot of terrible things happening, a lot of refugees in the world, a lot of difficult situations. You're a man who tries to give hope 
to those who would seem to not have much reason to hope. My listeners on American Indian Living come from all different backgrounds. There are Christians that are resonating with what you're sharing, but there's other people that they might believe in a creator, but they're not too keen on the even term of Christianity because that's been uh, misrepresented. Uh, People have called themselves Christians and cheated or uh, taken advantage of First Nation peoples. What message would you give in light of all that? What encouragement, what hope would you give to someone right now who's listening and they feel they're in difficult circumstances? It doesn't need to remain that way. Mm. Trust in somebody bigger than you Mm. who can intervene in your life. Take a giant step in faith. Recognize that there's somebody out there above yourself that loves you, cares for you, and wants a relationship with you. If you haven't tried to do that today, because there's a God that loves you despite your relationship with him, and he desperately wants that relationship with you. And watch your life change instantaneously when you just reach out for him, because he's now waiting for you to reach out to him. Dennis, thank you for sharing. You're making a difference in Papua New Guinea. You've shared your story. You've inspired us continued uh, blessings and success in what you're doing. Thank you, David. We have to step away from the mic, but we are not done with today's edition of American Indian Living. We've got more great material coming up. Final segment. Stay tuned for more. Remembering the Forgotten Ones. Don't forget to stay tuned. We're coming right back. I'm Dr. DeRose. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. One day, I'll teach chemistry to kids. I'm going to be an architect. My dream is to be a chef. At the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid, we provide more than $150 billion each year in grants, loans, and work-study funds, making higher education possible for anyone at any stage of life. I can go back to college. I can change careers. I can make a difference. Federal Student Aid, proud sponsor of the American Mind. Learn more about money for college at studentaid.gov. Diabetes is a serious disease that runs in families. If your parents or siblings have type 2 diabetes, you have a greater chance of getting the disease. If you're African American, Hispanic, or Latino, American Indian, Alaska Native, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, or Pacific Islander, you also have a higher chance of developing the disease. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you understand your risk. Visit the NDEP website at yourdiabetesinfo.org for diabetes prevention tools, including the Family Health History Quiz. It started off as a normal day. I felt fine when I arrived at the plant. Ruth Junius's life was about to change. Then I dropped my keys. They kept slipping out of my hand. My arm felt numb. A co-worker asked me if I was okay, and I couldn't speak. I started to get scared. Ruth was having a stroke. People around her weren't sure what to do. They thought I should go home or lie down, but I knew something was very wrong. I wrote 911 on a piece of paper with my other hand. And someone called for me. Because everyone acted quickly, doctors at the hospital were able to give Ruth treatment that started to reverse the symptoms. Within a few minutes, I was talking again. I didn't know a thing about stroke before I had one. Now I make sure that my friends and family know all the signs of stroke so they'll get help fast if they need it. No stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. Call 1-800-352-9424 for more information. 
Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to our final segment of today's edition of American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose, and with me another amazing guest that is carrying on with this theme, the theme, Remembering the Forgotten. George Jackson, Dr. George Jackson, is sitting across from me. George, it is great to have you with us. Thank you. Good to be here, David. Now, George, you've got an amazing background. You have uh, been involved in education in actually multiple continents of the world. We actually worked together at a uh, post-secondary school in the United States, in California. Tell us now where you find yourself. Now I'm in the Middle East, in Beirut, Lebanon, at a place called uh, Middle East University. And we're, I'm a dean of arts and sciences there, and we're starting a pre-med program. We're talking about forgotten people. We've talked about individuals in Africa who've been forgotten. We talked about individuals in Papua New Guinea. We've reminded ourselves that many of these stories are strikingly similar to the stories of First Nation peoples in North America, who many times have been marginalized, who've been oppressed. We talk about issues of historical trauma. Dr. Jackson, in the Middle East, this topic, historical trauma, oppression, is it a stupid question to ask if there's still evidence of that today? You know, David, Lebanon had 15 years of civil war, uh, and it's not like that now. It's, it's a prosperous place now, and things are much better. But a lot of the people really suffer from the older people that lived through those, through, through those times. Mm. And, it, yeah, it's, they've had a hard time. Mm. They have. So you are living in an environment where you're surrounded by people who've struggled with oppression, who've struggled with challenges. And now, today, when we speak about oppression, I don't think any more graphic imagery can come to people's minds than some of the literal chaos in places like uh, Syria and surrounding regions. Are you seeing that impact Lebanon? Yeah, well... Lebanon has like a population of 3 million people, but there's something like 1.5 million refugees. Wow. So it is really impacted, and you see it everywhere you go. There's Iraqi refugees, there's Syrian refugees, and these are people that have basically lost everything. Mm. Uh, wonderful people, struggling people. Uh, you know, I've been able to be involved with things like food distribution and clothing distribution and running health-type expos where we mm. can sort of help people with their needs and, you know, just those, just showing people that you love and care about them is incredibly powerful. Now, in Indian country, there's a kind of deep-held value, I would say, across tribal lines of caring for people, of giving back, of making a difference. You're actually displaying those same characteristics in the Middle East, and you're displaying them Dr. Jackson, in a world environment that seems to be, well, in some sense, less receptive to us showing kindness to certain people. I'm thinking of some of the dialogue today in different countries of the world dealing with refugees. Tell us a little bit about how you see that whole dialogue from, from your eyes there, kind of on the front lines in the Middle East. 
Yeah, David, you know, I went, it was probably four and a half years ago when we first went with a group of students. And that's the first time I'd ever worked with refugees, never been around refugees. And it was an incredible, life-changing experience. I've mm-hmm. never been the same after seeing these people, listening to their story through a translator, uh, and just often sometimes just pouring their hearts out uh, because of the, the tragedy in their lives. And it was just incredible. And now, now I live there, and I take my students out, and we can work with these people. And the need is just immense. And yet the world kind of doesn't want to, in many ways, doesn't want to know about it or is, is preoccupied with so many other things. Or the, the thing that really hurts, as you might see on media, social media, that people are like even anti-refugee statements and sentiments. And you think, well, I've seen these people. I've seen the families. I've seen their struggles. Why, why does it have to be this? Why are people so against them. And I, it's, I find it hard to understand. Now, we're talking about forgotten people. There's things in life that can be forgotten in our own lives. You have an amazing story, Dr. Jackson, about reaching out to a group of people that some people have forgotten about or would just be happy not to know anything about, not to have any firsthand contact with. And in the process of you preparing to go to work in the Middle East, you had some medical evaluation that revealed some forgotten things or hidden things, at least in your own life. Tell us that part of the story. Yeah, David. It, I had to get a physical to go uh, and work uh, for the organization I was working for. And that was fine. Uh, the president of the university said, look, it'll just take a day, get all this stuff done, and just the paperwork needs to get done. So that's what I did. It was actually in between two conferences I was attending. The doctor listened to my heart and said, yeah, your heart seems kind of noisy. I need to get that checked. And it didn't really bother me because I knew I had a murmur for many years. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's just my heart murmur. Well, it came, it come to find out, I went in for the test and came back and had an appointment with a cardiologist that I had a terribly prolapsed mitral, mitral valve. I had no idea. I was feeling pretty good. I was getting a little tired on hikes and so forth. Uh, which I ended up in the hospital within several months just before Christmas having to have open-heart surgery where they went in and, and actually repaired my mitral valve, sewed a ring around it, sewed it up, cut it and, re, re, uh, and fixed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I had three months of recovery. I said to the cardiologist when he f- first hit me with this news, I said, you, you mean open-heart surgery? I'm about to go overseas. <laughs> so that kind of stopped me in my tracks for a while. So basically, not only are there forgotten people, not only are there people that actually are off the radar screen many times from many people's consciousness, but in our own lives, mm-hmm. we can be dealing with issues that we're not aware of how serious they are. I guess I was in the beginning stages of heart failure. Mm-hmm. I would have gone into much worse heart failure. And by the time I had really obvious symptoms, it may have not been able to be repaired. So the amazing thing is, because I had taken this step to go overseas and, and try to make a difference with training young people and helping it actually, I had an immense benefit myself because mm. when would this have ever been detected? Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. that, was, that was kind of a neat personal story I was able to experience. Actually, it's, really your, whole, your story is like a metaphor for what we've been speaking about on, on this show. We've been speaking about remembering forgotten people. And, you know, it's so easy, whether it's someone next door that we don't know, whether we're not Native and there are Native Americans in great need around us, whether we're a First Nation person who the Creator has blessed our tribe, we're doing well financially, but yet there's people around us who've mistreated us historically, 
Um, all of these situations where these barriers exist between people, there's something powerful and healing about coming close to other people, isn't there? Well, it's called love. I mean, I've experienced, as I said, when I went there, it changed my life. I've never been the same after first experiencing these these refugee people and being able to just help in little ways with their health. In that case, we were doing health checks and so forth. And to simply show selfless love to someone in great need and helping them and seeing the gratitude in their eyes and know that you're trying to do something to make the world a better place, it's powerful. Wow. It's powerful. Well, Dr. Jackson, our, this is a very short segment, and our time is rapidly vanishing, but um, you're running a very innovative program at Middle East University in Beirut. You're trying to prepare students to go to medical school. Is this school open to maybe someone in the U.S.? Maybe even, I mean, this may sound uh, strange to some people listening, but let's say a Native American student could be a Caucasian student, African American, any race. Is there any chance that uh, getting some training there in the Middle East or getting a pre-med training there would open up doors that might not be open elsewhere? Well, yeah, David, it, it, that's a good point. And yes, we would be open to anybody from any walk of life, any religious background. Uh, the good thing about uh, studying in the Middle East uh, with us at Middle East University, it's very much uh, less expensive really? uh, than in the U.S. It'd be a fra the tuition's a fraction of that. But we are associated with Andrews University. You can actually get a U.S. degree uh, as if you studied in the U.S., which means that you could then apply to a U.S. medical school because you really? actually would have a U.S. degree, although you did it overseas. Uh -huh. uh, so there's yes, we do have people from different parts of the world that come and study and have an amazing cultural experience with wow. us as well. So when you say a fraction of the cost, what are we talking about for a year of college? Uh, tuition, like $5,000 tuition. Really? And yeah. how about room and board? Room and board, about five. So with extra fees, you're looking at between ten dollars and $12,000 a year, huh. which is substantially less than most private universities in the U.S. Wow. wow. So you could fly there and stay in the dorm, uh, eat in the cafeteria, and it would probably still be cheaper. than in the, And you could get American credits and get an American degree wow. with our affiliation. Tell us how to get a hold of you and the Middle East University. Well, um, I can be. Uh, you can look up Middle East University uh, online on on Facebook, or you can uh, just go to the website for Middle East University in Lebanon, or uh, I can be reached by email at gd.jackson j a c k s o n at m e u dot e d u dot l b. Okay, let me give that uh, address again: gd, as in George D. Period Jackson at MEU for Middle East University dot edu dot LB for Lebanon. We've got to run. Dr. Jackson, thank you for winding up a great show with us. My pleasure. Good to talk, David. And for all of us at American Indian Living, I'm Dr. David DeRose wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.